Welcome to Daily Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Each day we walk through the vital principles of the abundant life. Our Lord can do above and beyond all we ask or think. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Is there one chapter of the Bible we could call its greatest chapter? The Bible is the book of all books. It has stood the test of time, the anvil that has worn out many a hammer. The Word of God, inspired, God-breathed. As such, it is all-important, each of its 66 books, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. It's the Word of God, God's message to us. So each chapter is important. Habakkuk 3 is important. So too is Colossians 2. How can we even suggest that one chapter is greater than the other? I don't use the word greater as a synonym for better. I use the word greater as a synonym for more. Some chapters contain more than others. With that as a background, what is the greatest chapter of the Bible? I believe that's subjective. It may be one that speaks to you where you are and where you have been. The 23rd Psalm, the 27th Psalm for many, 1 Corinthians 13 for others, John 3 for still others. In my role as pastor, I think Acts 2 is perhaps the greatest chapter of the Bible. That chapter when the church was born includes the major teachings of the New Testament on the gospel, the repentance, the immersion in water in the name of Jesus, the infilling of the Spirit. It includes the practices and spiritual disciplines of the New Testament church, continuing in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, prayers. No church should be formed in fashion without these elements. But for me as an individual child of God, and like many before me, there is a chapter that is perhaps greater in my personal life. And that is Romans 8. It begins with these words. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of us love that verse? Or Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Oh, yes. And who can forget Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good. Those who love him called according to his purpose. Don't we love that passage? And what about this passage, Romans 8, 37 through 39? And all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, nor any powers, nor any height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 is quite simply a great chapter of the Bible. There's so many other verses I could elevate in your hearing, but with your permission, I want to do one today. All of this week, we're talking about living in the presence of the Almighty God. And settling into Romans 8 is a fulfillment of of that promise that we can live in God's presence. I mean, Romans 8 is not just a series of great verses. It contains so much. It contains three major doctrines of the Christian life, verses 1 through 4, redemption, verses 5 through 17, sanctification, verses 18 through 30, glorification. It also is saturated by the work of the Spirit in our lives. It also shows again and again 
that everything we face in this life can be transformed into glory. That suffering now becomes the opportunity for God to tell us that he loves us and he will help us through these moments in life. And so I come to what I think is the greatest verse of the greatest chapter of the Bible. Romans 8.31, it's in a question form. If God be for us, who can be against us? The greatest problems people face in living for God is that they simply cannot grasp God is for them. Can I get it very plain? God is your friend. He is not your enemy. He longs to be with you through all of your ups and downs, twists and turns. He wants to walk with you through this thing called life. He wants to be with you on the mountaintops, and he wants to be with you in the valleys below. He wants to be with you when you throw your hands in the shout, I made it. He wants to be with you when you throw your hands in the air and cry, I failed. God is for you. There was David's great revelation from the 56th Psalm that God is for me, this I know. He's holy, he's loved too. And that holiness and love came together at Calvary. No wonder we call him Savior. Yet one day he will be our judge, but not yet. Before he picks up the gavel, he picked up the cross and he did it for you. He died for you. He's the lamb slain for the sins of the whole world. Believe it, Jesus died for me. And if he died for me, he is for me. In his book, A Sweet and Bitter Providence, John Piper makes these comments. Life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us feel in our bones and not just know it in our heads that God is for us in all these strange turns. That God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He is plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. I may differ with extreme Calvinists on their viewpoints of election and destination. I disagree with the hyper-grace and universalist movement. But here's one thing you and I cannot deny. If we wish to live an overcoming life, we must get it through our minds and spirit that God is for us. He's not against us. If you can sense that in your bones, as Piper said, if you can get that deep beneath your fifth rib all the way into your heart, if it can saturate your thought life, then the mask began to fall off. That nagging, judgy voice in our mind is muted. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Your prayers come alive, knowing that he awaits you in his throne room, that his spirit intercedes for you and through you. Your self-confidence gives way to God-confidence. Fleshly thinking dissipates. Faith rises. You see things through the lens of suffering transformed to glory, that everything is a God-given chance to bring God praise. So I believe the greatest verse of the greatest chapter of the Bible, if God be for us, who can be against us? Stop and think about it. If you have the one who holds all power in his hands for you, 
then who really can be against you? If you have the God who opened and closed the Red Sea, who fed multitudes in the wilderness, who calmed the raging sea, who healed blinded eyes, unstopped deaf ears, unleashed his love at Calvary. If you have the one who rose triumphant from the grave with keys in his hands, how much more should you and I face this day saying, who can be against me? What can rise up against the all-powerful God? If God be for us, who can be against us? You remember that old song we sang from hymnals years back, Victory in Jesus? The first verse deals with redemption. We were bought at Calvary. The third verse dealt with glorification. Some sweet day, I'll sing up there the song of victory. It's in the second verse that deals with healing and sanctification. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again, caused the blind to see. Then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus. He plunged me to victory. If God is for us, who can be against us? We are plunged into victory. I read a personal story a few years back. A young man was visiting his friend in California. And as they drove through the busy streets of L.A., he noticed that his friend's cell phone was locked with an unusual password, Pronobis. He asked his friend, what does Pronobis mean? And why did you choose that for a password? His friend told him it was Latin and it meant for us. Then his friend suddenly started choking up. And he wondered why would those two Latin words cause so much emotion? Once his friend composed himself, he explained that after walking through very deep and personal pain, true healing came to him when he learned that God is for us, or the Latin phrase pronobis. His friends said that after his parents' divorce, a season came when he assumed that God didn't care or that God had given up on him, and he finally found hope through those two simple words. When he decided to believe that God was pronobis, that he even robed himself in flesh to die just for him, that's when he decided he could begin to live pronobis for us. God is for you. If God be for us, Paul asked the Roman believers, who can be against us? Here it is, who, not what. Do you remember in Galatians, Paul asked, oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Not what. Although we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the believers in Rome were fighting against impossible odds, against Rome, against Caesar. But even though the world system had come against them, Paul assured them, if God be for us, who can be against us? I believe this is important in the day that we live in, when forces are being unleashed around us in the world, when the spirit of the Antichrist 
is on the rise. When you don't know the what, but a who comes into your life and begins to question what has happened in your life and begins to question whether God really loves you. You have to know and assure yourself in your heart of hearts, if God is for me, who can be against me? That will help you withstand anyone and anything with the simple, blessed assurance that God is on your side. In Romans 8, you won't find the words faith, trust, believe. You find really no direct commands, no imperatives, no to-do list, no you must do this or you must do that. What you find is truth, a truth that will set you free, a truth that will bring the victory into your life. One of the curious things about Romans chapter 8 is that the word spirit for Holy Spirit is found 30 times in the book of Romans, in the entire book of Romans, but 20 of those times Two-thirds of those times are found in Romans 8. This is why I believe Romans 8 encapsulates the greatest or one of the greatest chapters of the Bible, because the Holy Spirit is Christ in the present tense. It's the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Emmanuel, God with us, that is in you and with you and fighting for you. That if God is for us, who can be against us? When you have the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ alive on the inside of you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It gives you the power to live your daily life. It gives you the power to overcome. It gives you the power to make plans and say, by the grace of God, I will be who God wants me to be. Thank you for sharing in daily devotion with Ken Gurley. We pray this ministry has been a source of encouragement and strength to you. Please be mindful that your financial support enables us to meet with you each day. To give a donation or connect with us, visit our website at kengurley.com. There you will also find the latest books, podcasts, and resources. Blessed 90 Days to Change Your World is Pastor Gurley's latest book. You can get your copy of this life-changing book at kengurley.com. May God's favor rest on you in every way. Until we meet again.